Hello and welcome to the Eastman's Predator Pros Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Nibnick, coming to you live from the Western Hunting and Conservation Expo. Once again, we are here in the Eastman's Podcast booth. Um, just a great venue, man. I've had a chance now to walk around and see some things. Um, just an incredible show. Um, I can't believe I've missed out on this all these years. Everybody's always told me about it from all the tags that guys come to apply for. Um, just the phenomenal booths. I mean, Eastman's and Cryptech have this massive booth right together, just busy all the time. Um, just, just crazy cool. Uh, you know, and then we're sitting here in this podcast booth. I don't know if it's some clear plexiglass or, or plastic. I don't even know what this booth's made of, but uh, we're sitting in here talking away. Everybody's walking by, you know, waving, giving us the thumbs up and stuff like that. Just, uh, just a cool venue. Um, but, uh, you know, this, this podcast is going to be a good one. Um, you know, got a good friend of mine, True Pierce, um, I've known True for a lot of years, um, you know, kind of in and out of the the coyote world a little bit. Um, True runs um, an online magazine called Hunt 365, and I've written some articles for them over the years, which, you know, I have links on my website and things like that um, that, that you can find. But, uh, you know, True's gotten into coyote hunting here and there, you know, a little bit here and there over the last four, five, six, eight years. Um, so I I thought it'd be cool to get him on the show and just kind of talk about some of his ups and downs and kind of some of the experiences that he've had, that he's had, which, you know, obviously is our learning points for all of us as well. And then true is a extremely well-versed and competitive three gun shooter as well. So um, I thought it'd be great, great to get some insight from him on just marksmanship techniques and things like that, that, that you all could use, um, you know, down the road when it comes to killing coyotes. And then a new guy, you know, somebody I just met, a guy by the name is James Nash. He's with Six Ranch Outfitters. Um, you know, he has a podcast, uh, a, a big following on Instagram. Um, him too, you know, ha has gotten into coyote hunting here over the last four, five, six years. Um, so I thought it'd be great to get them both in the boat. These guys know each other um, and just kind of talk about all our experience. You know, James had a, a project a while back where he went around and filmed uh, some coyote hunting stuff in, in several different states uh, around the country. So be be curious to hear kind of what his take was on all that. But, uh, no, it should be good. It should be some great stories, some great uh, coyote hunting information in this one for all of you. But before we get going, I need to thank the sponsors of this episode, which are Onyx Hunt and Swagger Bipods. Now, Onyx is a huge part of, of the hunting game. It's a huge part of the coyote hunting game. Now, what a lot of people don't understand is, is the amount of land access that it takes to be a successful coyote hunter, you know, and in the past I've talked about, you know, really, you know, most guys are probably undermanned when it comes to finding land and having land access, you know, Onyx is, is my number one tool when it comes to getting access to new land. You know, I use their features on there, their land ownership features. I can see, um, you know, who owns what, where it is. Um, once I line up those places and find where they live, I can knock on those doors. I have names, I have addresses. Um, I can really just start developing a plan and, and put together a, a, a massive access database on on this Onyx Hunt app, which which helps me when it comes time to pick and stands. You know, the great part about it, the features on there, I can drop waypoints on all my stands. I can keep track of all my stands. I can outline um, land access points. So I know where, where all the boundaries are at. Um, I can track routes. I can shoot line distances. That's something that I use a lot. And I've showed on the last stand when we've been filming is, you know, if, if I'm hunting a block of land, 
how do I use that line feature to say, okay, I've went like 800 yards now. Okay, it's time to start looking for a new stand or, oh, I've only went 400 yards. Let's keep driving a little bit. So that's all uh, kind of a really cool feature uh, when it comes to making consecutive stands across an area as well. But, you know, if you're not on the Onyx game, uh, it's definitely something. Download the app on your phone, jump on it. I think, you know, for if you're just looking at needing one state's worth of access, I think it's 30 or 40 bucks a, a year. You know, if you want the entire country, if you hunt multiple states, you know, I think it's a hundred bucks to get you the elite membership for the entire year. So uh, just a great value there and a great tool that that you're going to use a ton. So um, if you're looking for more info on that, you can go to onyxmaps.com. Now with Swagger Bipods, huge point, you know, when it comes to killing coyotes, there's lots of options out there as far as rest goes. You know, some guys use tripods. Some guys use old school bipods, shooting sticks. Um, you know, when I was introduced to the the Swagger bipod many, many years ago, um, I was a little hesitant. You know, I thought, I don't know, don't want that extra weight on my gun. But I'll tell you what, once I put that sucker on there, uh, you know, and and if you're wondering, I run the Hunter 42 is what I run. Uh, they make 129. And really all that is the 29 series is 29 inch legs. The 42 is 42 inch legs. So if you hunt in areas where you're going to be sitting on some side hills and some slopes and things like that, you definitely want to go with the 42 inch um, just because you want those longer legs that'll extend out on those side hills. Um, you know, there's there's three levels of extension on there. And then it mounts to your gun fairly easy. You know, if you have a, a traditional bolt gun, there's a little adapter that comes with the with the Hunter 42 that mounts right into your swivel stud. And then the bipod just mounts right into that. Now, if you're running an AR, it really just depends on what rail you're running. Um, I run a Picatinny rail on mine. Swagger sells a Picatinny rail attach adapter. That's all you need to pick up and it'll attach right to that Picatinny. They also make a uh, <clears throat> an M-lock adapter as well. And, you know, depending on what rail you have there, you know, and you may have, you know, some Picatinny rails on your M-lock um, or, or whatever it may be. And, you know, you can get it attached to about any rail you want. So um, if you're looking for a new bipod system, you know, if you watch any of the last stand episodes that we put out, um, you'll see that, um, you know, I demonstrate on, on how I use them. How do I use them when I go to the range? You know, how to become proficient with moving and getting on target, because that is really the huge benefit of a swagger bipod is is being able to move and adjust and get on target quickly and then be being able to stay steady and hold you know true to where you want that bullet to go so um if you're looking at a pair you want to check out everything i got you can go to swaggerbipods.com and don't forget like always i'll throw that discount code out to you you can enter coyote craze 25 for an additional 25 percent off well we are back from the western hunting and conservation expo doing live podcasts in the Eastman's booth. This is kind of unique for me. Um, never done a live podcast before, but uh, it's cool. Got uh, True Pierce and James Nash in the booth with me today. Welcome, guys. Thank you. <clears throat> Thank you, sir. Before we get going, um, you know, we're going to talk about, I want to talk about just some coyote hunting stuff. I think you guys have some different unique coyote hunting experiences. I've known True for a long time. Just met James today. Um, but I want to talk about that because I think you guys fit the bill, you know, probably have a lot of, ideas and questions that a lot of coyote hunters have run across um and then true does a lot of competitive shooting and I, you know i want to talk a little bit about the shooting mentality i mean killing coyotes is a pretty important part of it you yep. know it's hard to have a pile pick when you can't hit them yep. you know what i'm saying so so yeah but before we get going james fill me in on uh, kind of what you do sure uh i own six ranch outfitters i live on the sixth ranch in northeast oregon 
Uh, it's an old family ranch. It's one of the oldest uh, businesses in the state. And uh, besides having a hunting outfit, I do a lot of different stuff, but a lot of brand ambassador work. Um, I've got, uh, got the Six Ranch podcast, which I really enjoy doing. And uh, then some consulting and some wildlife management, which nice. is a lot of fun. And, and predators are always a part of that, right? Yeah, yeah. You can never talk about managing a habitat if you're not talking about managing all the animals that are on it. And for a lot of the species that hunters are interested in, um, predators are always a factor in that. And whether that's coyotes or hogs or lions or something else, it's, it's part of the picture. Um, so, you know, there's not a day in my life that goes past without coyotes somehow being part of that picture one way or another. So with your outfitting, are you, are you doing bigger game stuff and the coyote stuff is kind of stuff you personally do on the side in between that stuff? Or do you incorporate some predator stuff into your, into your outfitting? I don't guide any coyote hunts. I have in the past. And, and to be completely honest, the times that I was guiding those trips in the past were times when I just needed the extra money. I needed a little bit more hustle and I wasn't a good enough coyote hunter to be doing that. Um, and uh, I've got a pressure, right? Yeah, it is a lot of pressure. Paying you money to call in coyotes, I'm like, oh man. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's hard, to, and not only call them in, but but call them in in a way that that somebody who maybe doesn't have a lot of experience can get them killed, um, and and that's yeah. tricky. And <laughs> it's very tricky. If they're, in, I'm sure you you have a lot of these same struggles, but you know maybe their equipment isn't that dialed. Um, so if if they have a skill deficit. Uh, because they don't get to do this that often. And then they're just showing up with a gun that isn't quite right or they're not very familiar with it. They don't know how to how to change their operations in cold conditions or hot conditions or night conditions. Yeah. Um, it, you're asking a lot of a hunter to step into that. And then, you know, if, if my skills aren't, you know, just crispy clean, then I'm not giving them the best opportunity possible at that. So I really didn't have any business guiding the coyote hunts that I guided. <laughs> that's what I'm trying to say. I shouldn't have done that. Hey, well, you yeah. know, sometimes you got to make that money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, True, go, fill me in on what you do, man. Um, I guess it really depends on which day of the week yeah. we're talking yeah. about. You're, okay, let's we'll just start with your real job. So I'm the editor for Guns America Magazine. No, that's not your real job. Oh. I'm the editor for Hunt 365. Oh, I thought you were an attorney. Come oh. on. Isn't that your yeah, real well, daytime well, job? You're trying to make all these people hate me before oh, well. I'm well, come on. Would yeah, you, so I'm, I've, I've been an attorney in Idaho for a few years now. I'm actually a deputy prosecutor in a small county in Idaho, and I, um, I go up and help with trials, and we actually had a murder up there this year, a double homicide. Hey. So we've had some fun this year, <laughs> but uh, it's, uh, it's, inter it's interesting for sure. So. But then you, yeah, then it's always, when I first met you, I didn't know you did that. Right. And then you're like, you have all this other side stuff on the, uh, you know, in the hunting world. Like you said, the editor of Hunt 365. Yep. Which you've written for. Yeah. Fact, yeah. If you guys listening have not, if you like to read, I mean, Jeff did some phenomenal articles for us a couple of years ago. I think James went and looked at some of those even. For sure. He told me, hey, I want to get into coyote hunting. It actually said, pushed me start. into the podcast world because I hated <laughs> writing so much. I'm like, oh, I can actually do this talking. This is so much better than grinding my brain against the laptop for eight hours a day trying to well, make this sound right. Believe it or not, you're actually a pretty good writer. I mean, I actually enjoyed your stuff and I actually learned a lot just from reading your articles that we published on Hunt 365. And so for, the, for those of you that are listening, those are still out there. They're still available. Yeah, they're out there. I have links on my website. Yep. You know, coyotecrazy.com. I still have the links to yep. those because that's it's timeless man i mean those Absolutely. articles are going to be you know at least the way i look at it yep that's good information now or 10 years down the road yep especially about efficiency 
you know, those were some of the big takeaways that I got from it is if you're going to spend a whole day coyote hunting, you need to be really efficient and have a plan for how your day is going to start, how you're going to move from stand to stand, what you're going to be doing in the middle of the middle of the day that's different from morning and evening. You know, stuff like that is stuff that I got wrong forever um, and, until I was exposed to that information from you. And I, I really appreciated that because I just, you know, I had a recipe that I thought would work and I was just going to try it in as many places as I could. And uh, I wasn't changing that that recipe. And that was a massive mistake. And, and by altering that based off the information that I got from you from reading those articles, um, I, I became a more effective coyote hunter and was killing more dogs. Yeah, I've always used math, like probability, right? Probability, and it's a numbers game. It really is because I truly feel like no matter where you're hunting, I don't care if it's a ranch that the coyotes have never heard a rabbit squeal or not, not every coyote's coming to the call. Yeah. You know, and but there are coyotes out there, some more than others, that will come to the call. And, and it's your job to find those particular coyotes that day. And if you're making eight stands versus 16, <laughs> simple math, your odds are going to go up of finding those coyotes that are coming to the call, right? I mean, it's just a simple thing. But like you said, there's a whole bunch of things yeah. we could talk about as far as molding your setups in the morning versus midday. I think a lot of guys find those same side of setup, and they just keep making that same style of stand all day long and not changing with the way the coyotes, you know, movements and, and everything changes. So, yeah, that's... We could probably talk a whole podcast on that. Oh, we, 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 we got a lot we could talk about. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll tell you one of the biggest mistakes I made in coyote hunting last year. And I hunted coyotes, I think, in, in eight states last year. It was a big project that I was doing for, wow, that's for, good. for, that's... for, for SIG. And I wanted to hunt coyotes in every region of the U.S. And I wanted to hunt during every season of the year. Um, so it was, it, was, it was a huge project. It took a lot of work. Uh, we had about 45 days of hunting throughout all that. Damn. And uh, the... The very biggest mistake I made throughout all this, and I made a lot of mistakes, but the biggest of all was I went and I hunted on uh, on a friend's place in Nebraska, and man, Uh-oh. man, Uh-oh. I, I was stepping on my turf, man. Well, so <laughs> it was kind, of, it was kind of the opposite. <laughs> oh, the opposite. So, <laughs> oh, you're one of those out of state guys educating all my coyotes, right? Literally, <laughs> literally. You're, you're gonna like this story. Right. You're, you're stepping on my punchline. <laughs> okay, so you know, a couple days into it this just isn't working. Like, why am I not calling in what coyotes? Time year, what time of year was this? Oh, you're going to get I'm, into I'm, that. I'm, all right. All right. I've got a whole plan okay, for how I'm going to tell go. this. I'll shut and, my mouth. <laughs> and uh, so I, I go to the rancher and I'm like, gosh, uh, do you have any advice for me? And uh, he goes, well, it shouldn't be too bad. This, this guy, uh, this Jeff Nimnich guy <laughs> was just out here last week. <laughs> I was like, oh, really? <laughs> well, isn't that helpful? <laughs> So I, uh, I was getting, uh, getting after the coyotes that, uh, that you hadn't been able to kill. <laughs> and, uh, that well, hopefully was, you didn't kill very many. That was a disadvantage for me. <laughs> oh, I mean, they're, they were hurting a little bit there on that place. Um, the coyotes were getting into their calves, which was the reason that I was there. Um, uh, so, you know, having coyotes dead beforehand, like it's, it's all about the rancher at that point. But I thought that was just so It's a funny. small world, right? There's like a million ranches in Nebraska and you right. pick, pick the wrong one. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> folks, if I can give you one piece of advice, it's to not hunt a place right after Jeff has been there. <laughs> that's, that's funny. You know, I mean, that does bring up an interesting uh sort of conversation though and 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 i mean i'm in idaho and and we have oregon near us and my, as you know jeff my dad owns a huge ranch in yeah yeah in uh, nevada in fact you've hunted yeah we've hunted before. it yeah um but 
I often wonder how many really, truly, unless you're hunting in like September, how many coyotes you're really hunting, especially this time of year in January, that have not been shot at, that have not had a call blown at them, or um, that have not been educated in some way at some point somehow. I mean, there's a lot of people that are hunting coyotes at this point in time. Yeah. And um, Well, you know, and you throw the thermal game on it now. Yep. I mean, it's exploding. Yep. So, yeah you're killing more coyotes at night thermal, but they're educating just, you know, they're messing up just as much. You know what I'm saying? At the nighttime, the coyotes yep. are coming in, seeing you standing there in the moonlight yep. or whatever, you know? Yep. So you're still doing the same thing. It's just, you're, you're adding the amount of time in that four month period that the coyotes are being pressured, right? Yep. They don't have the nights to kind of relax anymore. You know, they're being pressured now constantly. Yep. Yeah. In fact, I mean, we even, uh, we, we did a con we did a tournament this last uh, weekend in fact I talked to you beforehand and asked yeah. you for advice on it <laughs> anyway hey um, got hey you got like second didn't you no Third? not quite not we, quite we, we got big enough. dog okay we got big dog <laughs> we won almost consolation prize yeah exactly <laughs> Nick got second no, um, no it um, you know we were hunting coyotes that were big everything we shot would have won big dog and one of the, I mean we were out here in the dark with thermals. And we could see a coyote out in the field like 300 yards, and we played a real soft baby cottontail to it. And that sucker picked up his head and was just like, I'm out of here. I mean, we knew at that point, we're like, we can't play anymore rabbit sounds, yeah. right? Yeah. Because somebody's been out here blowing them, and they know what's going on, even in the dark. And, uh, um, yeah. And so, I mean, I guess my point is, is that I think that especially this time of year, your coyotes are not young. They're not stupid. If they're still alive, they've, they've figured something out. And... Um, you really got to have your crap squared away if you're going to kill any of them. Well, yeah, it's, I think it's a lot about expectations this time of year. I think I talked to a lot of coyote hunters, and, you know, it's kind of like what you talked about, James. You got to know what to do in the middle part of the day versus in the morning and late in the day, right? The season's no different. You know, you can't expect that what I did back in October to kill this, you know, handful of coyotes is going to work now in January and February, you got to be able to try some different things. And, and I think a lot of people hit me up thinking there's some secret sound. I could tell you right now, <laughs> I've heard them all. And there is no such thing as a secret sound. And it all boils down to that. Every coyote's different, right? They really are. I think, you know, I've talked about this a lot, you know, Rick Plett, good buddy of mine, yep. all the sounds on the lucky duck call. He's yep. raised coyotes, right? Uh, these are real coyote sounds. So he's been around coyotes a lot. Um, and he hasn't, he, him and I were, Filming the last stand, lots of windshield time, driving around bullshitting about different things. And he starts talking to me about how he really feels like right from birth, there are callable coyotes and uncallable coyotes. Interesting. Because some coyotes are just naturally more aggressive. You take a litter of puppies of just your domestic dogs. You have your bigger, more aggressive pups. You have your little runt coyotes that are just kind of little wussy coyote, you know, wussy yep. dogs. And he thinks that... <clears throat> that the coyotes that we're calling in and killing are these aggressive coyotes. Like you could probably do a lot of different things and maybe they don't get educated. Maybe they're just always naturally aggressive. They're going to keep running into the call until somebody does finally kill them. The one, the coyotes that we think are these smart, educated ones have been pressured might've not been pressured at all. Yeah. They could just naturally be little wuss coyotes that don't want nothing to do with that. And unless you just set up perfect, maybe within a couple, two, 300 yards of them, and they sneak in, 
you know, and, and it makes a lot of sense. I mean, you start thinking about scenarios that unfolded when you're out there and you start looking at the backstories of the places that you've hunted, knowing that maybe not hardly any pressure. I mean, your dad's ranch is a prime example, right? Yep. I mean, it, it's fairly landlocked. Like, you know, yep. there, there could be some pressure from the outside, but you know that, hey, stuff is not happening Yep. inside the interior of this ranch right. but then you see those experiences like well why is that coyote not coming in he's just sitting out there you know and it just makes me wonder like we'll never figure out coyotes like I, it, you know it's just all these little instances but coyote hunters are very opinionated right like everybody has their theories like oh you know what i'm saying yeah well and, i think if you you know you think of all these levers you've got to pull it's like and say, say you're using a lucky duck, right? Well, that's the call that I use the most. Yeah. Thanks for the tip on that. Um, helped me out a lot. But your, your levers are like, which sound are you going to play? How long are you going to play it? How loud are you going to play it? What are you going to mix it with? And it's a little bit like asking your wife what she wants for dinner. <laughs> like, wh- where do you want to yeah. eat out? And you can start rattling off, like, all the restaurants that are, that are available and it's like, no, 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 no. I don't even like food. I'm never going to eat food again. And it's like, oh, the Range Rider. Yeah, let's go to the Range yeah, Rider. That yeah. sounds great. And I've seen coyotes do that. And it doesn't make any sense to me because no, they're, they're a very smart animal. And I've seen them watch me get frustrated and start scrolling through my sounds like it's a menu at a Chinese <laughs> restaurant. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, you know, coyote raccoon fight. Sure. Absolutely. Like here I come. It's like, what were you thinking? I just played 97 other sounds. Yeah. Um, and I don't think that that's the way that you should call in coyotes. That's from a long time ago, but I have seen that exact scenario where I went through almost every sound that I had on this old Fox pro as these coyotes were sitting on a hillside, 800 yards away, looking at me. And all I had was a 22 mags and, uh, you didn't dial them up. And, (laughs) (laughs) Eventually, I think I played, I played a coyote and um, coyote killing a fawn. I can't remember what the name of that sound was on Fox Pro, and this coyote picked its ears up. It got up and it ran in and I shot him at twenty yards. Well, the rest of them just sat there. Yeah, and watched it. Um, it's like how, <laughs> yeah, how does this happen? You know, so it it is complicated, and you do have to try crazy stuff. And sometimes nothing that you do will work. But I do think that there's there's probably a trigger out there for every coyote. I I want to believe that in my heart. I don't want to believe <laughs> there's that. There's this opinionated Yeah, yeah. There, there you go. Yeah, there that, you go. That some coyotes are, are born uncallable. I don't like thinking about that. So I'm just going to – I mean, R- Rick is the man, uh, but – I can't let that thought into my head. No, no, it's the way it is. That's why you got to know how to shoot so that you can yeah. shoot those ones uh, that don't come oh, in. Oh, yeah, I, yeah. That's what I should do is I should try and learn how to shoot. That's a good idea. Well, that's, that's my mentality as I've seen that. And you guys may have seen this. Like over the years of hunting, a coyote sits out there six, seven, eight hundred yards. And I will throw the kitchen sink at the damn thing. Yeah. You know? And sometimes, yes, they break, but a lot of times still they don't. I yeah. mean, I'll roll through, you know, and, and people that don't know what we're talking about, we're playing a sound for 15, 20, 30 seconds tops. I'm kind of watching the coyote. If nothing changes, then I'm just going to the next sound, you know? And, and you might be listening to this saying, well, that seems stupid. I mean, that don't even make sense. Well, coyotes, to us, yeah, if you're sitting out there listening to that, you'd be like, yeah, right. But a coyotes don't think like we do, right? Um, but after a series of six or eight sounds, I'm usually giving up the ghost. Like True said, which we're going to get into a little bit. Either it's time to dial them up or just or one or two options. Now, the other option that I've done in the past that I've seen work, that coyote, maybe he, I watched him lay down in, in the grass or in the sagebrush. Like, he was laying there the whole time, and I just basically woke his ass up, and he stood up. 
and he went back and laid back down. Well, I w- shut the call off. He laid back down, and then I snuck in closer, got within two, three hundred yards of where I thought the, and hit the freaking rabbit, and the thing sprinted in. You know, so that's that's what tells me that okay, yeah, elk are a lot the same. You way. know, so the the proximity of the sound, I think this coyote has some weird process. They're like, eh, do I want to run clear over there for that? Nah, you know. But I always feel like the closer I can get set up to where I think the coyotes are, your odds are just better. Well, maybe you they're know? like maybe they're like people, and that some people are just lazy, right? Yeah, yeah I Literally. really do think coyotes are lazy. Yeah, you know, some of them are more lazy <clears throat> than others. And there's there's a threshold thing with lots of animals. You know, bovine bulls are are very much this way. I learned a lot about calling bull elk from watching how um, you know beef cow bulls acted in the field, and they would lay in a pasture for two months and never have a fight. It's like everybody's getting along. And then you ride a horse in that pasture and move them a little bit. And then all these bulls start fighting with each other. And I, I used to get so frustrated with it as a kid. And I, you know, mentioned this to my dad complaining. And he's like, well, all those bulls had their areas. You know, they all had their, their zone around them that was theirs. And when you rode in there, you moved them out of that. And they all had to reassert dominance. So there was a threshold that broke there. So I started using that with elk. And I would find out where that threshold was for elk for me to make a sound that they had to react to. And if you bugle at a bull from 300 yards away, more than likely, he might bugle back. He might do nothing. 150 yards, you're getting closer. But there is a big difference between 90 yards and 120 yards. And at 90 yards, I'm going to force that elk to do something. And I see the same thing with coyotes and what you're talking about. And I don't know if it's a laziness thing. It might, it might be efficiency because animals are always looking for efficiency. But are they, are they going to exert that energy? I mean, a coyote can seemingly run a mile without taking a breath. You yeah, know? Yeah. It's pretty effortless for them to, to cover ground. So I don't know if it's, it's that. But I do think that there's a threshold where if something interacts with them inside of that area that they have to respond one way or another. And it's either going away, hiding, or coming towards you. I talk about a bubble. Like, you know, I talk, my wife makes fun of me all the time, but I'll go talk about your bubble, you know. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I really, I imagine it as that. Like this coyote has a bubble around him, you know. Right. And this bubble can change in size every hour throughout the day, throughout the sea. You know, it's just constantly changing. And your job is to set up within that bubble. If you do, that coyote, the chances of him coming are good. The tree parties, we don't know what the bubbles are. I mean, weather might affect it. You would think, oh, it's cold, yeah. snowy. They ought to come running from long ways. You know, it's pretty, oh, pissed off coyote, whatever, you know. But that's the tricky part is. But that's why it all comes down to, back to, to what I originally said is the probability. The, nope. the, I mean, you don't, we all have these ideas and these variables that we're looking at. But the more stands you can make, I just, it seems to me. You don't know what kind of night that coyote <clears throat> had. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, you did it get get its butt kicked by another coyote? Did it step in a trap and have, have to pull a toe off to get out of there? Yeah, like yeah. you don't know what's going on in that coyote's life. So it's not just a it's not just a coyote machine that if you give it this input, then you get this output. And that's part of what's so interesting and fun about it. The big part of the reason that I did this huge project for SIG was, you know, the the hunts that we'd been doing were really high budget. It was like mountain goat, moose elk stuff that people can't necessarily afford Um, and i want people hunting for the entire year i want people shooting all the time and it's a way to improve 
coyote is the ultimate sustainable animal. It's incredibly challenging to hunt. You can do it all year long and you can do it close to where you live on like the most limited yeah, budget anywhere. that you yeah, can possibly true. hunt with. Yep. Um, so it, it appeals to a lot of people and I don't care who you are. If you hunt coyotes, it will get, get you better at hunting whatever it is that you care the most about. If, if oh, coyotes isn't the most. So if you're an elk guy, if you're a ride or die, whitetail guy, I don't care. Um, if you're a waterfowl guy, it doesn't matter. If you hunt coyotes, you will get better at hunting that other thing. So why not? Um, it, it is accessible and available to everybody. Yeah, it's my two older boys running around the show right now. That's what I've told them. I said, you guys have been shooting coyotes now for 10, 12 years of your lives. I said, everything else will seem easy at this point. You know, I mean, because it is. I mean, it's not standing there. It's just it's, it's yep. just a unique thing. They but, move fast. They're small. I mean, yeah. But one, one, one last point I want to talk about back to what we, we were talking about as coyotes checking up and sure. playing a series of sounds is that's the scenario that I, unfolds in my brain every time I sit down on a coyote stand, whether I see those coyotes or not. I envision mm. that same scenario that I don't see this coyote out there, whether, whether he's just over the hill, maybe he's sitting there looking at me and I just don't see him yet. But that's why I run through a bunch of sounds on stand. Like when you play the right sound, I talk about this, you know, simple math equation. I've talked about this on a lot of different things. You know, a coyote running at, at 10 miles an hour, you know, how long does it take to cover a mile? Six minutes, you know, and that's a 10-mile-an-hour trot, okay? So... Most coyotes aren't coming from a mile. They're probably coming from a half. So in three minutes, a coyote can cover yeah. a half a mile. So, you know, why am I playing sounds longer than that? Because if it's one sound that triggered that coyote, we should be seeing that coyote come to the call, you know, so then I'm switching up sounds. So I envision that same coyote sitting out there. So if I can roll through five or six different sounds in that course of that 12 or 15 minutes, you know, hey, I'm just, I feel like you're covering more of the bases yeah you know every time you leave that stand that you can get up and leave well if there was a coyote screw him because he didn't you know nothing i played would have mattered now it's time to make another stand and hopefully set up that much closer to a coyote and and, and see what happens so where where i live in in northeast oregon um is a is an area with really low coyote density we don't have any rabbits um so their their prey base is low and the coyote population is low also, the number of people that have a gun in their truck is incredibly high. <laughs> um, the number of people that have super cubs with shotguns coming Extremely out of them, high. incredibly high. <laughs> it's, it's not a good place for coyotes. So the ones that are there um, are, are dead or educated really quickly, and, and there's not very many of them. So it, it's a, it is the most flat out, it is the most challenging place to hunt coyotes that I've ever been. Um, this fall, I had an evening after a crappy day, and I was like, I'm going to go do a stand. And I actually planned on doing two. Something distracted me, and I had 40 minutes left by the time I hiked in. So I was like, oh, I can't make it to another one, so I'm just going to go until dark. And I ended up sitting on that stand for 40 minutes. At minute 35, a coyote jumped over the top of a four-strand barbed wire fence half a mile away, disappeared in a grass that was taller than him and then every once in a while he would porpoise up out of this grass to, to be see. able to see yeah. and he get, came into 125 yards and i started yelling at him because he was going to get to the bottom of this draw and be in tall grass again and i knew that i was never going to get a yeah, shot yeah. if i uh, so i'm like <laughs> hey coyote stop <laughs> and he stopped and i shot it i was like how what what transpired in this scenario? You know, I, I had nothing other than I got to saw him clear this fence and then run towards me. But that was 35 minutes into the stand 
where I'd just been intermittently been using basically the same like coyote fight sounds. Um, and I don't know if he like finally woke up. It was evening. Like he's coming in. It, it's getting dark now. It's his time to shine. If he was walking into the area and then finally crossed into the finally sound radius. could hear me. Yeah. Um, but we'll never know. That's the his s- tongue that's was the hanging out so too. So yeah. Jeff, so Jeff, I mean, along those lines, what you're talking about of playing these all these different sounds, trying to find the one, and then they're going to come immediately. So I got a story for you that happened this last weekend that kind of. I mean, it didn't go that way, yeah, right? Yeah. So we're out here doing this 48-hour coyote calling contest. We can use thermals. We're out here in the dark. We're on this rim of this canyon, big, gnarly rim. And we get up here. There's a little wind. And we look out before we even start calling. We can see a coyote like 1,500 yards away in a, in a pasture, in a field, in a pivot. Uh, we can see it down there. So we set up. We're on tripods. We're standing on this canyon rim up here. And I'm like, what are the chances we're going to call him out of a field up this canyon, right? Hey guys, sorry to interrupt the podcast, but I need to take a second to tell you a little bit about Sig Sauer Optics and specifically the Sierra 6 lineup of rifle scopes that I'm currently running. Built upon the Sierra 3 award-winning technology and the Sig Sauer BDX Ballistic Data Exchange technology, the Sierra 6 family of rifle scopes provides the hunter and marksman with an intelligent auto holdover specific to their ballistics, target, and environment. Pairing a Sierra 6 rifle scope to a BDX-equipped rangefinder allows users to bring the capability of applied ballistics into the field without the need for a mobile device. Now, to put that more simply, if you're looking for a way to shoot coyotes, especially the ones that hang up out there three, four, five hundred yards and don't want to come in any closer, which we all know happens, you know, this system will allow you to consistently put bullets on target at those ranges. So if you're in the market for a new rifle scope or even a new rangefinder, visit SigSauer.com. Now, back to the podcast. Well, I start playing a cottontail and he starts just coming, like just burning it into us. And we lose sight of him below the canyon. And then 10 minutes later, we're like, is he coming? Like, what's going on? He was coming, right? Well, I start glassing around. There's a pile of rocks out here 500 yards away on the edge of this field and canyon. And there he is. He's sitting on this pile of rocks, and he's just sitting there. And I'm going, well, what the crap? Like, he was coming. He already (laughs) came 1,000 yards. Why did he stop at 500 yards in the dark? Like, we haven't made a noise. There's no wind going to him. Like, why did he stop? So we sit here, and I start playing fight sounds. I play every sinking sound I can think of. And I'm sitting here (laughs) looking at him. And same thing. I'm not playing him a long time. like, nope, not doing it for him. Let's play the next one. Well, a couple minutes later, we hear some more coyotes howling. And what he was wa- what was actually happening is he was waiting for two other coyotes to show up. Mm. And two other coyotes eventually showed up almost 20 minutes later. They All three of them packed up together and came in on us. And Zach got impatient during the middle of this. I'll throw him <laughs> under the bus here. And he went around and spooked them. And so they were like, they didn't know what we were. But I ended up just shooting the first coyote at like 260 yards in the dark straight down into this canyon. Nice. Right? <laughs> but, um, but no, literally, he was sitting there waiting for those coyotes to come. He, had not, he was fine coming to the sound. They were going to come in. It was just he was waiting for the, waiting his for the two rat. buddies to get there. And um, that, Yeah, I mean, see, that's unique to me because nothing – there's nothing I can sit here. People want an answer, right? Like yep. they want me to give them an answer that's going to happen all the time, right? That's the crazy thing about coyote hunting is we're back to probabilities. Like yeah. what's going to ha- what gives you the best chance right. to make that happen? But nothing ever like, you know, and I, and I don't have a whole lot of experience thermal hunting. I spend, you know, 95% of my time's day hunting. Um, but I've seen some weird stuff at night. Like oh, yeah. I've seen some coyotes act way different than i've ever seen them act in the daylight 
you know, and I'm sure guys that thermal hunt a lot, you know, see some stuff too. And, and I don't know, you know, we'll never know. I mean, so yeah, it's, it's just many. <laughs> well, in the daytime, I would have shot him at five. Well, yeah, you know, you, yeah, you'd have shot, shot you and never even waited for those other no, two to show up. I would have known, but you know? I couldn't do it with a the thermal. So. But to see, that's not a bad plan either because we don't know. There could not he, you know, a lot of times, you know, I was actually just over at the Lucky Duck booth here a little bit before we started recording, just talking to a guy um, about setups. And, and a lot of times I do opposite of what a lot of people do. When people make setups, they set up purposely to have visibility. Yep. A lot of times I set up just the opposite. I purposely set up to limit my visibility because when I limit my visibility, what do I do? For I don't give the coyote, if I can help it, the opportunity to sit out there at five, 600 yards because if you give them the opportunity, we've all seen it. Right. You know, right. we've all seen that coyote that checks up out there. And most every guy is going to be like, what? Oh, he's a smart coyote. Maybe he's just not. Maybe he's just to the point where he can see all the yeah, way up there. Maybe he can see you. <laughs> maybe he can see you. I don't know what it is, but he's just like, nah, I'm good. I but coyotes are curious enough. If you make, if if they can hear it but they can't see it, I have a tendency to believe that a majority of the coyotes are going to get to a point where they can. They the, the story you had the coyote jumping out of the grass. Yeah. Why didn't he just slink through the grass like a bobcat? Yeah. Because coyotes want to see. Yeah. You know, not you know, a lot, majority of the coyotes want to see. Let's a, put it that way. A lot of them do. Yeah. You know, that's a tool that they have available. If if they can smell, you know, that's important to them. But if they can smell, they're going to smell you in there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, I got to point something out that True said about, you know, if it was daytime, I'd just shoot him at 500 yards. Um, you know, I, I think of the kill zone on a coyote as a, about the size of a grapefruit, about four inches. Um, so that's a smaller than a one MOA target. Something that makes True really special amongst shooters and hunters is that he's one of few people that I know that can translate his competition shooting skills into his hunting shooting skills. And those two things rarely bleed over. Some of, some of the absolute lights out best competition shooters I know miss on animals. Um, so to take a less than MOA shot in field conditions and expect to hit it is a really special thing that takes special equipment and a tremendous amount of skill. And that's not a thing for everybody. And I see a lot of people so. miss coyotes at five <laughs> or 600 yards and get upset with themselves. It's like, dude, I, that, I, that's oh, yeah. a long I shot. Have, I have missed coyotes at five or 600 yards before. <laughs> I've missed coyotes at every range. <laughs> I mean, I missed one at like 1140 by like two, oh. two inches earlier this spring. I mean, we're times on video. You could see it. The bullet hit the ground. And uh, I think I have the record distance. On, on a coyote? Yeah. What is it? 3,650 meters. No kidding. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I haven't even tried that. Yeah, that's, it was, that's freaking It's with an Abrams M1A1. No kidding, on a coyote. Yeah. yeah. No, that's pretty impressive. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Yeah. It was with the well, sable round, too, yeah. so I hit Back it. Back to what you were just saying, though. It's <laughs> that 29 palms? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Um, I, I actually disagree with you. I honestly, okay. I actually believe that any sort of practice, whether it's competition or practice, is always going to make you a better shot in field conditions. So, there's, I mean, you're saying I've seen really good competitive shooters not and miss on animals. And granted, that happens. I'm not saying it doesn't, but I think that when we go back to what Jeff's talking about as far as probabilities, when you go with on a shot timer and you have targets you have to hit in a certain amount of time, and every single uh, miss costs you time and ultimately a podium finish, uh, that's a lot of pressure to start being accurate and fast, which is exactly what you have to do on a coyote. And so any experience that you get doing that shooting competition or practicing is going to do nothing but make you a better hunter in the field at the end of the day. So I'm not saying it may 
means that you're never going to miss an animal, that you're not going to get some, that you're not going to go, well, that's pieces. That's not a piece of steel I'm shooting at and have your heartbeat through your chest and, and have some buck fever. Like, I know that happens to people that haven't been killing stuff since they were little kids. I mean, I grew up on a ranch. Oh, yeah. I was murdering stuff from the time <laughs> I was old enough to swing a shovel, right? Or step on it with a cowboy yeah. boot. And um, I don't really feel that like I used to like you know like I don't get that ex- I mean I enjoy it don't get me wrong but but I don't get buck fever to where I can't control myself and I just have to shoot now and um but but I absolutely believe that any sort of competition shooting that you do is going to make you a better hunter in the end I mean it, assuming that you can control your nerves to some extent well may- maybe so maybe I didn't explain it well or maybe you're not good at taking compliments <laughs> um, but I I, 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 I See, are you better at taking insults and compliments? I'm, I'm like, always, I don't even know which. <laughs> go ahead and insult me. I'm which, way better which at that. Which one that was? Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, what I was really trying to get at is that um, is that the skills don't don't always translate. Um, and I know some field some field shooters that have never been in competition in their lives that are really lights out at shooting at animals, um, and they would do horribly in a competition. And I've seen the opposite as well. So just because somebody's really skilled at shooting targets in a competition, regardless of those settings, doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be good at field shooting. And I, I do think that it's special that you're able to do both. And I think that a lot of it is that you have not, not only the experience and a, and a great depth of experience in both, but you've got the mental fortitude to translate the skills. Well, I, I appreciate you saying that, and I recognize that that's a compliment, but I don't want anybody listening to this to think that, hey, I can't go be a good coyote hunter if I don't go shoot competition. I, I, I think really the key here is, is, is number, I mean, I see people make mistakes all the time when they shoot coyotes. Like, I know somebody that has killed a crap ton of coyotes, and yet they've also missed more coyotes than I've probably ever shot at. Sure. And I asked them one time, hey, what is your, uh, what's your zero on your gun, right? And they said, oh, well, you know, I had this... Uh, this Marine one time teach me how to zero my gun, and they taught me that if I zero it at 25 yards, I'm good out to, like, 250 or 300. They're just dead on, hold on everything. That doesn't and sound I, like a Marine to no, me. No, that sounds just like a Marine. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, and I said, well, you know, that's probably the reason that you're missing, like, 80% of your coyotes because he knows how to kill stuff, right? I mean, he's killed a lot of stuff, but I honestly think it's more luck when he hits them than when it's not because if you zero at 25 yards or at 50 you are making a giant mistake when it comes to shooting coyotes Mm. giant because if you're off a quarter of an inch you're off inches out there further yeah yeah and um and so don't zero don't let anyone talk you into zeroing at less than 100 yards and make sure that it is absolutely like a real zero that you can count on so um yeah i mean can i talk about that as a marine (laughs) <laughs> hey, only if you're an O3 Marine, though. Right? Yeah, oh, I got a couple uh, of Marines yeah, sitting there. I, yeah. knew, I knew that we'd, we'd handle right. some feathers with that. I mean, you well, can... this is Pogue marksmanship, <laughs> not O3 marksmanship, but let's hear it. Oh, gosh. Um, yeah, okay. Um, you can carry your gun. My gun can carry me. Whatever. No, um, what I was going to say is that uh, zero – Zeroing initially at 25 yards is a good way to spend less ammo on the range as you're zeroing, but you need to you need to zero at 100 or beyond that. I was going to say, spoken <laughs> like a true marine. Listen to this, right? But it, but it it is a good idea 
to uh, to start out with a 25 yard target, and you're you're straight up going to use less ammunition, and you know ammo is hard to come by, and it's expensive. Yeah, yeah. if you just yeah. mounted the scope on your gun, I'm not disagreeing with yeah, you. Yeah. You got to get on paper, right? Yeah. But for to think, hey, I just nailed the bullseye at 25 right. yards. I'm ready to go hunting no. is a giant mistake. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, it's huge. You know, 100. I, I'm 100 yards zero. I run it maybe half inch high. You know, I'm shooting 223s. Yep. All right, half since 04. I'm not killing. You know, I have killed them out there. Four or five hundred yards, but it's not very common because the wind is yeah. hell on a 223. Yeah, that's not why I shoot a two. I'm, I'm not shooting a 223 to not. I'm shooting 223 because most of my shots are 200 yard in and lots of running shots, multiple coyotes. <clears throat> you know, so so yeah, hundred yards zero. I'm like, why not? You know, I talked to oh, I got it two 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 and a half inches high at a hundred, so I'm dead on at three hundred. Well, are we calling coyotes? Well, I mean, what are right. we doing? What, you. you probabilities right hopefully we have more 100 yard shots than we do 300 yard shots and if you've ever seen a coyote get missed probably 90 percent of the time it's what guys shoot over the top of them at least yes. in my opinion yep. yes. you know so i just i've never understood that mentality why you'd have a gun you know two or three inches high at 100 when we're trying to call coyotes yeah you into know the, into that close or closer yeah, yeah yeah no i agree you know so i think that's you're right i think that's a big mistake and the, but back to the practice thing you know, just with what I do with my coyote schools and doing some guided hunts, I get guys that are coyote hunting once or twice a year. Yep. And, yeah, they go and sight in their rifles. And, and a little funny story, I just had a guided hunt a while back, and, you know, the one guy hadn't shot his rifle since last year he was hunting with me yeah. and just assumed that it was still on. Well, four or five missed coyotes later, I'm there sighting their gun in off my mirror, you know, off the little two-track, <laughs> you know, and it's not even close. You know, so we got everything dialed in, but... He had, he had practiced zero yeah. off of shooting off his, you know, he was shooting off a tripod with a hog saddle, you know, which is pretty steady, but you're limited in mobility, you know, in the daytime. But no, that's a huge part of it, man. I mean, stuff happens fast. If you aren't familiar with your equipment yep. and you start fumbling, then all of a sudden you start going, oh, shit, oh, shit. You know, and then you end up rushing a shot, rushing shots, obviously no good. And then, you know, then we're basically no good at the killing part of the coyote hunting game, which is a big part of it. Yep. And that's one of those mental aptitude things from the competition community that hunters need more of is understanding what the forces are that, that make us miss shots. And it's like a fear of loss versus the desire for gain. And if you see an animal that you think is (laughs) starting to leave, um, you're like, like, who's going away? Yeah. Um, And I think that that goes really deep into human psychology during times when, you know, we were extremely close range, maybe even with our hands or with a spear or something like that. And something starting to move, it, it brings us out and it's like, Oh, he's getting away. And it's like, no, he's on a wide open hillside. He just stopped, looked back at us. We can get him to stop one more time. Um, But that's not, that's not the human psychology. So you need to understand what those forces are, how they're playing against you and then how to defeat them. True as a competition shooter, what would be a, you know, for the average coyote hunter, a guy that's, coyote hunting 10 12 times a year you know maybe has access to a little public range you know what what would be a couple pieces of advice as far as using their time when they go to the range to to do some shooting 
You know, um, I think I think that's a great question, and let me back it up even before they go to the range and do the shooting. Like, if you're going to – I mean, my preferred gun to hunt coyotes with is an AR-15, and that's what we shoot in three-gun competition. It's what you guys carry in the military. Um, but, uh, you know, to take it for granted that you know how to work the safety when you need to and that you know what your trigger feels like and where it breaks and all that kind of stuff, I mean, I actually think that you can spend time in your living room when you're watching a movie, dry fire in your AR, and actually build some muscle memory on how to – manipulate your safety what your trigger press feels like maybe you're going to have maybe you're using a variable power scope and you don't run it on the highest power because you have a hard time finding stuff so maybe it's just simply practicing hey throwing up my gun and finding a target in it because i can't tell you how many people i've been out with and said there's a coyote they see it with their bare eyes and they cannot find it in their rifle scope and that is a lack of having spent the time behind the gun so you can do all that stuff just dry firing and actually pressing that trigger feeling a click making sure your crossers don't move and then go out to the range and with limited ammo reinforce that at 100 200 yards i mean get a piece of small steel that reacts and you can tell that you hit it and and practice the same positions with the same bipod that you're going to shoot hunting um just hitting that piece of steel stand up walk over three feet sit down cross your legs however you're going to be sitting in the field kneeling whatever and practice hitting that piece of no, steel at 200 kneeling, yards. hunting coyotes well, I don't Come know. on. Hey, some people like almost as bad as laying in the prone. <laughs> I mean, do you guys bring a chair? I don't I haven't <laughs> yeah. been out. Do you Come really? On. Damn right. Lucky duck predator seat, man. Okay. Come well. on. Gotta keep your ass out of the cactus. Well then you better you bring little, your chair hey, to you the know, range. Back support. How important is having back support shooting? It can help. Dang right. Push it against help. that, you know, gives you anchor points. Yeah. Well, if that's really what you're gonna do, if you're mm. really gonna be shooting out of a chair, then you should practice that. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. Is, you yeah. know, go to the range and get yourself a four or six inch piece of steel. In fact, I mean look, here's a really cheap way to do this. You can go to your local uh, sporting goods store and buy a whole box of clay pigeons. Ninety of them cost fourteen bucks. They're about four inches. Go stand them up out there in the grass on a stick, whatever. Um, that's your kill zone on a coyote. Yeah. And so if you can't hit that, then you're going to have a hard time hitting that moving uh, if you can't hit it holding yeah, still. Yeah. Now make it run thirty miles an hour. Yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> So, you zigging know, and zagging, but, hopping yeah. around. But, but, I mean, look, dry fire practice, know your equipment, know your scope, know how to which way turns the power up or down, um, know how to find targets by just looking through your gun. I mean, I, I seriously, you know, it's a small target. The grass all looks the same sometimes. Sagebrush can look the same. And you're just like, there he is. Now I can't find him in my scope. And that is a skill that you can learn. It's not a natural thing, maybe, for most people, but it's something that with enough practice, you can look at a spot, and that's where your gun points. Huge mistake I see people making is trying to find the coyote in their scope. You know what I'm saying? Yep. There's a coyote, and they get in their scope, and you see them doing uh, circles yep. out there trying to find, instead of you know, understanding how to orientate your rifle, look right over the top yes. of the scope with your eye. And this is a practice technique. Exactly what I'm talking and, and about. You, and you, as soon as you see it with your eye right over the top of your scope, you put your eye down in the scope, and there's exactly what it is, what you're looking at, you know. Uh, I, I see this a lot. Like, yep. as I'm doing these guided hunts and coyote schools, I'm looking over this guy like, okay, we're going to shoot. And I'm looking at him in the corner of my eye, and I see him doing the old yeah, swirl now, out there trying to find the dang coyote. And I'm like, just take your eye out of the scope, yep. find him, orientate your gun right over the top of the scope, and you, and you look in the scope, and he's there. Yep. Well, and I mean, another thing I would, I would recommend to people, I mean, I know, Jeff, that you love magnification. I'm not knocking you at all on this. Because no, you've I'm learned, unique. You've learned no. how to use it. But it takes a lot of practice to run high magnification and just throw it up and be able to find something in that. Yeah. So for most people, they run more magnification than what they need to shoot agree, with yep. accurately. And you're better off, especially if you're going to have stuff coming in close, to run the lowest magnification that you can run. And if you have, a, if you have to make a longer shot at three or 400 yards – 
hopefully you'll have enough time to turn your magnification up if you need it. Yeah. So, That's why I hate people ask me that. Well, it's, I run mine at 10, but, you know, I hate telling that to people because the average yeah. guy puts his on 10. You know, he ain't going to see a you know. He's not going to see anything. But when you shoot at hundreds except, of coyotes yep. for years no, but, and but years. but you're yeah. an anomaly. So, I mean, 99.9% yeah. .9 of everybody else out there, I would tell you, run on a lower power. But yeah. from three-gun with a shot timer, I mean, it's a proven that you can shoot with both eyes open. If you're trying to really just hose targets, I mean, hit as many as fast as possible, you want like a one-power scope. Because you can leave both eyes open. It's why they use them for dangerous game, either one power or iron sights. Is because at close distances, you have more field of view. You're going to pick things up faster. It's easier to track a moving target. It's easier to see your misses. You have a bigger field of view. Like, there's a lot of advantages to running less power, So um, especially on animals. So uh, unless it's something that you've just practiced a lot doing, like start with the lower magnification and get where you can hit stuff that way. And then if you're like Jeff and you're – you know, a freak of nature that's already shot 300 coyotes for the year, uh, you know, turn them up. But, but I mean, just as a tip or a piece of advice, I mean, uh, lower magnification is faster, especially at closer distances. So, In addition to that, I'd recommend that people go out to the range and put their scope on its lowest setting and shoot some targets at distance and just see what that experience is like. And I've, I've found a lot that people shoot just as well with their low mag as they do with their high mag. Oh, yeah. And it's almost always surprising to people. Like, no, go ahead and shoot that, you know, steel target at 500 yards on three power. Like, what? No, just just try. It, it, it's the same size. The target's the same size. You know, your magnification is just helping you determine where you're holding. But I've shot a lot of groups with red dots that are smaller than my dot. And it, it's okay. You can do it. Not that big of a deal. Right. You know, the running shot thing is unique too we talked about scope magnification and moving it you know to me that's one thing if you want to get good at shooting running coyotes to me you have to leave your scope at the same power yeah, you know people ask me how you shoot running coyotes and i'm like it's just muscle memory you know it's my eye recognizing that the coyote is that size yep. you know my field of view always is that big you know because i keep it at 10 the whole time i'm not shooting a running coyote this stand at three power and the next stand i'm shooting at eight power because everything's different yep. you know in the side so whatever that is whether you decide it's going to be three power or four power or ten power whatever it is that's my thing is because there's only one way to get good at shooting running coyotes and that's shooting at running coyotes right. there's like you said there's no yeah. i wish there was some badass drill we could come up with you know but three-dimensional targets running at 35 miles an hour across yeah. the pasture yeah. is not but something i mean they zig and they, no, zag they zag and they, yeah they, they like you said it's not rush, flat it's I mean, they're going up a hill yeah. and it's not only are you leading them you're hanging high i mean it's such a crazy thing like there's no possible way that you can think about a running shot so that's that's been the way that that i've done it, is you just have to train your eye just you know what you do i mean it's just all muscle memory and you know keeping it like that all but the scopes that i used to use were straight tens they they were not variable power yeah that's what and, yeah uh, marine corps yeah well and, and afterwards too they were wonderful and i was used to it from tanks um but i appreciated everything about that that fixed 10 power scope and i've tried to get a lot of companies um to make those since and they they feel like the consumers aren't interested in that and, and they're probably right but if you only ever shoot a 10 power, um, you can get just dirty, deadly good with it. And I, oh, think, I, sure, th yeah. I think that you're, you're smart to do it. But it is a skill that needs to be um, gotten before you can just step into 100%. the field and, and expect good when, results. When, Drew, when you're shooting some of those longer shots, what are, you, are you zooming 
max power a lot of times? No, you used I, to keep still, it? I still – I run Like you're the, shooting a, like that 1,100-yard coyote you said you shot at. Okay, so that one was a little bit of a different thing. I mean, that was 1,140 yards, and my scope only went to 18 power. And I was actually holding wind at the same time. And so um, – Dude, I mean, that, that coyote – I mean, that's like – coyote's like not much bigger than your crosshair, is it? Uh, not really. Yeah, at 18 power, I was going to say, at that distance, like, yeah. yeah. I mean, it was – seriously, it was, it was as close as you can get and still miss. Yeah, yeah. Right? Um, but, um, no, I, I mean, I, I would tell people, I mean, always run the least amount of magnification that you can to make the shot. So, you know, if you're shooting 300 yards and you can do it on six power, do it on six power. Yeah. You've got a bigger feel of you if your gun recoils, if, you, if somehow your sticks come apart or your bipod screws you, um, whatever, uh, you are going to have um, – you're going to uh, have a much greater chance of finding that coyote faster, picking him up, moving. If there's more than one coyote, transitioning targets yeah. with more field of view is always better than with less. So I, Jeff is absolutely the anomaly. I'm not telling him he should do it different. But for you guys just getting started or if you're having a hard time, you miss a lot of coyotes, start by turning your magnification down. Yeah. It's amazing. If you zoom in, you know, I shoot a – I mean, I think the, the SIG scope I have goes – it's a 5 to 30, man, you yeah, know. So it's a lot of I'll zoom at 30, man. You're, you're seeing every heartbeat. You're seeing yeah. everything, yeah, you know. You can and see it's, the future with 30 yeah, power. Yeah. Yeah. You That's know? a lot. Um, <laughs> well, but, I mean, you think about that. Let's say you got a cut at 200 yards and you zoom into to, to a 30 power. I mean, you're, you you're going to watch that bullet hit him. But let's say there's another coyote. How long is it going to take you to find him? On a running coyote, because now you've well, that already screws fired me. a shot. Well, we talked about, you yeah. know, it, uh, back that down screws me before him. because I, you know, I get to shooting, and if I'd have taken the extra second yep. to zoom it back down to 10, yep. I, you know, now I'm trying to shoot a running coyote at 18 power, you know, and now that muscle memory's off, and, you know, yep. pff, yeah. good luck. Good luck doing that. <clears throat> so. Well, good. James, you'd mentioned something about this SIG project you're doing for coyotes. What, is that like a YouTube video? What, what, where where yeah. can people find this? It's going to be a series of videos. Uh, they should start releasing those fairly soon. I'm, nice. not, I'm not sure when. But, yeah, I, I just really wanted to show people that, that they could go do this wherever they lived. And that's why we did it all over the country. Um, tried, tried to pick as many regions to represent as possible and, and just to learn as we went. So I always tried to hook up with local experts wherever I was. Learn how they hunt coyotes in that area. There's 19 subspecies of coyotes in North America that are all separated by region. Um, and they act a little bit differently wherever you go, it seems like. But there's a lot that's the same everywhere you go. And I think the real benefit to myself. Did you go hunt the elusive eastern coyote? I did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, the hairless yeah. dog. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I, I did some hunting in North Carolina. Um, Day? Uh, day and night. Oh, did you kill one in the day? Did not. What? Did not. I was hoping you'd tell me that because everybody, like, yeah. uh, that's like nobody thinks they can kill coyotes in the day, past you know, east of the Mississippi. Yeah. You know, it's like they can only kill them with thermal. It seems like. <clears throat> you know, when I when I was still stationed there in the Marines, the uh, the coyotes were just starting to show up to that area, and we were starting to hunt them a little bit. And the guy that I was hunting with just got obsessed, and uh, and now he's killing over 100 coyotes a year. Nice. He's gone really hard on it. And it, it's all nighttime for him um, just because he wants to be as effective as possible. Yeah, yeah. And takes it super seriously. But uh, the, the, the takeaway I got at the very end of it is that there's a, there's a basic recipe that I can follow with that, that lucky duck call. And, uh, and I feel confident that I could go anywhere that there's coyotes and follow, you know, this, this one recipe and, and do okay. Um, yeah. And that that was really really interesting. That just taking little bits and pieces from from different places and bringing it together, 
came down to one fundamental sequence that I feel confident in. And, you know, if you just put a, put a pin on the map and said, you're going to go hunt here, you don't know the conditions or the time of year or anything else. Um, what are you going to do? It's like, I would do this and I, I would feel confident in that. And it, it's been really neat. I hunted with guys that only used their voice. I hunted with guys that, um, <laughs> that primarily use their dogs. Um, and yeah, it, it, it was a fascinating year and, you know, I have more respect for coyotes than ever. And I respected them a lot to start with. That'd be cool. I'm, I want to watch that when it yeah. comes out. Yeah. It's going to be called yeah. American Jackal. Um, should be interesting. Nice. Yeah. Heck yeah. Yeah. I'm all about it. You know? <clears throat> yeah. Did some missing. Did some hitting. No. <laughs> <laughs> Did they edit all the misses out of your video like they do other hunting No, hunting videos absolutely not. Oh, good. Uh, you know, that that's my thing, right, <laughs> um, is, uh, is I, do, I don't lie about stuff. Um, and hey. that doesn't always work out. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I, I want to show it as it is. Yeah. I only make him show Rick's misses on the last stand <laughs> so I can, you know, give him some hell, you know. Uh, the key on geez. that is, though, don't miss when it's a double. You know, if you kill a coyote and then you miss the second one, you got to show it. But if it's just a stand where you miss one and runs off, hey, maybe you can get away with not even acting like that stand even happened, right? Well, yeah. we had a triple come in the other night, and uh, Zach shot the first one. At, like, we let him come in close, and uh, he shot him. And then the next one was out there like 250 yards through a tree. And I have the video on the thermal. I'll have to show you. You'll be like, what in the crap? I mean, it's quite a shot on a thermal. And you see the coyote yeah, go pope. down. And then – there's a third coyote that runs and I had no idea what the distance was. It was in the dark and I was shooting a six, five Creedmoor and it has just enough recoil on shooting off a tripod. I couldn't see the misses to even have yeah. any idea what my lead was. And so I just straight up missed him. <laughs> I went full of empty mag on him in the dark. <laughs> yeah. So. yeah. I'll, I'll show when we're, when we're off air, I'll show you guys a little, little sizzler for this series though. But yeah. I learned, I learned so much and I'm really grateful for all the people that, that hosted me in all these places too. And, you know, um, I hope, I hope that people consider a coyote hunt as a destination hunt too, which, you know, a lot of people don't. They think of it as a convenience thing or like an off season thing. But if you want to go hunt, like say you want to go on a bighorn sheep hunt, like something alpine, high angle, you know, that might be, you'll maybe you'll never draw it. Or if you buy it, it's going to be at least $30,000. You can go get almost every aspect of that hunt with a coyote hunt. That's almost free any time yeah. of year, any year that you can go. Um, and it, it really does offer you just about everything that you could possibly get besides, you know, just another species that's barely edible being a bighorn sheep. 100%. Yeah. 100%. So w contact info, James. Like some, when this comes out, people want to find you. What's the best ways to find you on, uh, on the web these days? Six Ranch Outfitters on Instagram, Six Ranch Podcast, anywhere there's a podcast. Nice, nice. True? Um, you can go... Exactly where we were talking about earlier to read Jeff's articles on coyote hunting. So go to gunsamerica.com front slash hunt 365 and you can search coyote and you'll probably find what 10 or 15 articles that you wrote. God, I don't think it's been that many, but well, 10 it probably. Have been. Yeah. The 30 coyotes in the contest. I think that's the most popular one. We did a pot. Did I tell you I did a podcast on that? No. I got my partner in on here and I read the article and we stopped and like did talk oh, no about kidding. behind the scenes. <laughs> I've heard a lot of people say that's one of their favorite ones because it's cool because we're just talking through. You know, 30 coyotes in a day-and-a-half yeah, contest is pretty story. phenomenal, and we got second. You know, that's the craziest part about it, you know, but <clears throat> but fun things. But I appreciate you guys coming on, man. It's been fun doing this live podcast. I'm tired of watching people walk by and, 
give us the little head nod, point at us, and stuff like that. It's yeah, we're to, in the fishbowl. Yeah, here. time it's to get back fun, out there yeah. and mingle with the <laughs> with the crowds, man. So appreciate you guys taking the time. Appreciate you guys taking the time to listen to this podcast. Um, if you want any more information on myself, uh, the Last Stand video series, you can go to my website, which is coyotecraze.com. You can find all the information there to my Instagrams and, and social media and, and whatnot. But got to thank the sponsors before we get off here. Lucky Duck Predator Calls, Cryptech, Black Rifle Coffee Company, Swagger Bipods, Hornady, Onyx Hunt, and Sig Sauer Optics. Couldn't do it with those guys. Uh, really appreciate what they do and the support that they give this podcast. And, of course, Eastman's for putting this all together. Uh, you can go to Eastman's.com to visit everything that they have. And, and who knows, if you're ever at the, the show here, come by the Eastman's booth. It's a pretty cool little setup they got here. But until next time, we'll catch you right here on the Eastman's Predator Pros podcast. <laughs>